This is a, forgive me because everything's so partisan. I don't want to add to it, but let's talk. This recall is a Republican-backed recall. And I'm mindful that I have to rebuild trust. I'm mindful that I have to continue uh, to do my job and, and address the big vaccine issues, pre-existing issues like homelessness and housing. I take it very seriously, but the most important thing I can do is my job. When I first went to California, it was when I was a kid. I was like seven years old. I went with my dad, we went to Disneyland, went to Universal Studios and all that stuff. And then I went a couple times as a kid and you know, I lived in the Midwest, so it was, it was cool to get out to California, but it, it, it didn't really grab me until I went there when I was about 18 years old. I went from the East Coast uh, where I was interning at NPR to visit a friend who was a student at UC Berkeley. And it was the most magical, five days that I'd ever had. I totally fell in love with it. It was beautiful. People were so interesting. The food was so good. It was just amazing. And I then for years wanted to go back to California. And I eventually lived in California a couple times. In LA, um, hosting Marketplace Morning Report was the second time. And it was really cool to be in California and to cover the national news from this place that is so important and so big, but it's outside of the bubble of the East Coast. And now, when you hear about California in the news, at least for me, it seems like it's usually terrible things like climate change, fires, taxes are really high, people are leaving because the cost of living is so high, they're recalling the governor, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, it's home to some of the most powerful people in America right now, from the Vice President Kamala Harris to Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy. A lot of people call California home. So right now for episode three of the Hobcast, we have with us uh, one of the top reporters in California, Scott Schaefer, who's at KQED, the NPR station there. I've talked to him many times, but now... He is here in the center of the universe, Provincetown, Massachusetts, right across the table from me. Scott, it is so nice to see you and it, have you on. It is so good to be with you, Jeremy. And I, you know, when we came to P-Town uh, a little over a week ago, I never imagined I'd be doing a podcast with you. I love hearing your voice. I miss hearing your voice. Thank you. And it's so great to be across the table from you here in P-Town. Until recently, the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, of the pandemic. Corona. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, wait, okay. So let's talk about the trouble in your land. Uh, what, what, <laughs> Before we get to the trouble in yours. Yes. What, so so the, the fires. We actually had some of the smoke from the wildfires in California out here. How bad is it out there right now? And does it feel like it's worse, you know, every year than the previous year? You know, when I came to California in... 1981, wildfires just wasn't a thing. You know, I mean, there were always the Santa Ana winds and the fires down in Southern California with the hot winds coming off the desert and so on. But it's now the, the dries are drier, mm -hmm. the hots are hotter. It's not fire season anymore. There are wildfires like, I don't want to say all the time, but a lot of the time in California. And it's exhausting, of course, for the firefighters. Mm -hmm. It's expensive. It's making people rethink where they live, where they retire, uh, where they buy a house, where they want to do business. There's talk about wineries in Napa Valley being right. unable to get insurance because they just the insurance companies don't want to take the risk. But it is it's real. It's worse than it was, and it's scary. Is it changing people's minds at all about climate change? Not that you have to change that many people's minds in California, but but you know there are a lot of different people in different parts of California that probably have different views about what should be done. Is it making a difference? Do you think that that things are getting so bad? Year year after year with the fires and stuff? You know, denial is a very powerful thing. And I think uh, people, uh, you know, once the big, the latest biggest fire goes out, people kind of try to put it out of their minds and go back to normal. Paradise, you know, up in Butte right. County, 
they're rebuilding up there. Maybe they're rebuilding differently than they did before that devastating fire a few years ago. Uh, but people are, and people are still building along the coasts despite sea rise risks. Um, and, and so it, it, it does makes it harder to deny. And it certainly puts it higher up on the list of concerns that people have in California because it's ever present and it is scary. Do you think that it's gotten anybody to leave California? Do they say, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore or I don't want to, I don't want to worry. You know, it used to be like earthquakes, but I don't, I can't stand the fear of earthquakes. But it, do you think anybody has said, you know, the fires are too much. I'm, I'm going to leave and go somewhere else. I'm sure. I mean, there are a number of reasons people leave and come to California, right. you know, but I think the the threat of wildfires, especially, you know, like my husband and I are thinking we'd always wanted to retire in Sonoma. Now we're like, uh, you know, huh. maybe not. I mean, we love going up there. It's gorgeous. But, you know, so it, it does, I think, influence the kinds of decisions people make about where they're going to live. You know, life is complicated and there are a lot of reasons people come and go places. Okay. And one of them, obviously, is the cost of living in California, which has been very high. Obviously, a lot of things have changed because of the pandemic. But what's what's happening now with people? They're always saying, oh, they're going to go to Texas. You know, Texas like comes to California and says, please come to Texas. And, and some people do. I think uh, they've done studies of, you know, during the pandemic last you know year and a half or so of people who have left where have they gone and the big quote-unquote winner uh is austin mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people have gone to austin because it's got that cooler vibe right it's texas it's cheaper you know the food scene is pretty good the music scene is good uh there's a lot of young people so yes i think people have gone there but you know some people go there and then they come back because they so miss you think California. it's overblown what like the idea of people leaving california because it's too expensive uh not no i think that part of people leaving California is real. Uh, and it's it's not just California, but there'll be like people who have kids. They're living in San Francisco or the Bay Area. They have kids. And then they have to decide, okay, am I going to pay for private school or am I going to buy a house? I can't do both because uh, hmm. I don't want to send my kids to public school. Why? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it depends. I mean, some parents feel it's their kids aren't going to get the best education. Uh, you know, there's a lot of snobbery, I have to say it. There are some very good schools, uh, public well, schools. And, you know, uh, you know I... I I'm a child of public schools. I went to public schools so my whole my whole you know childhood education, um, but I think of California also as the place with the best public state university system that's out there, and it it surprises me that people would that, that the people feel so strongly about supporting something like the University of California and the Cal State system, and yet. They feel like I can't send my kid to the public school. In yeah, I mean, it's a generalization. Obviously, right. a lot of people do. I think the pandemic did make that worse because there were a lot of parents who were frustrated that their kids couldn't go to school or had to do distance right. learning. Right. And they pulled their kids out of public schools. And I don't, they didn't necessarily leave California, but they maybe put them in private schools or, you know, Catholic schools or charter schools, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, so, you know, that is a real thing. And, you know, we don't want to go all the way back to 1978, but, you know, Proposition 13, the big, the beginning of the anti-tax movement in the country started in California. We have proven here in California that we, the people, not the politicians, are still the boss. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was, uh, it was after he was governor, Jerry Brown was governor, and there was a big you know, revolt against taxes. Right. And Prop 13 rolled back property taxes drastically. And, you know, many people would say public schools have never really been the same because because uh-huh. it's really cut into the source of funding. Uh-huh. Okay. So t- speaking of things that voters in California do that make it difficult <laughs> for politicians sometimes, 
What's going on with the recall effort? Um, you know, there was the big splash about about it coming back. And then Caitlyn Jenner comes out and says, I'm going to run for governor as a Republican. But now, you know, what are people thinking? Is it possible that Gavin Newsom gets recalled? Anything's possible. You know, uh, I think back in 2003, when Gray Davis was facing a recall, before it was on the ballot, people said, oh, California's never recalled a governor. Well, then they did. They were called uh, him and replaced him with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, I mean, if, if I had to bet or if people, you know, certainly the odds makers would say Gavin Newsom probably will not be recalled, partly because of the demographics. And, you know, re- the Republicans are literally a third party in California. There are more people, that's roughly the same now, but re- registered as no party preference mm-hmm. or, you know, independent nonpartisan voters as there are Republicans. They're about a quarter of the electorate. Democrats are about 44% of the electorate. So just the numbers would suggest, you know, Democrats are still very supportive of Gavin Newsom. If they vote in reasonably high numbers, the recall will not succeed. But the problem for Newsom is that uh, Republicans at this point, uh, Republicans are much more motivated to vote, more likely to vote. And when you look at who's likely to vote, the recall is much closer. It's about 47 percent now uh, and then 40, whatever, five or so percent. Yes. So that's within the margin of error. But is there a movement to recall the recall, like to make it so that you can't do that when you don't like a politician halfway into their term? You know, it, it is, it, it's out of control in California. California makes it a lot easier. The threshold for getting a recall on the ballot is much lower in California than it is in almost any other place mm-hmm. that has recalls of, of governors. And so now we have recalls in San Francisco alone. We have a recall, pen, two recalls pending of the new uh, district attorney. <laughs> we have three school board members who are facing a uh, possible recall, <laughs> obviously the governor. And, and this kind of thing is being repeated. Uh, I mean, I got to say from the outside, it sounds ridiculous to recall the school board members how long is their term like well a few l- years? let me just say <laughs> let me just say that they uh, the school board in san francisco has done some things that again have made national news and not in a good way in the middle of the pandemic they spent literally seven hours on a zoom school board meeting seven hours talking about which schools to rename specifically the renaming of 44 schools within the district The board says the schools need new names because the current ones, including Washington and Lincoln High, are linked to a history of oppression and racism. (laughs) Including Dianne Feinstein. Okay, okay, recall them. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I changed my mind. And other things. And then in the eighth hour, they started talking about when are we going to reopen the schools? You know, so that really pissed off a lot of people. Okay, Dianne Feinstein. You brought up Dianne Feinstein. It's interesting because when I took uh, Here and Now out to California, we, we tried always to get, you know, we would try to book big people. We try to book big politicians. We try to book CEOs and stuff like that just to get a California flavor to the show while we were there. Dianne Feinstein, in the middle of her re-election campaign, after so many attempts, would not do an interview with us. And I realized she actually doesn't do that many interviews, period. And then you see her in the Kavanaugh hearings where people were very upset with how she handled that. She's now 88 years old. It seems like people have started to sour on her, and in she's California. opened up a re-election campaign for twenty twenty. <laughs> okay, that's what I was going to ask. Is she going to? Is she going to? Is she going to finish out this term? You know, she's one of those people, like Strom Thurmond, who need to be, you know, who want to die at their desk. I guess mm-hmm. uh, I don't understand why. Uh, you know, Barbara Boxer. You mentioned, you know, Barbara Boxer retired. Kamala Harris took her place. That was the the graceful thing to do. You know, she had her time in the Senate. Now she can go enjoy the right. grandkids and, uh, you know, her retirement down around Palm Springs. You know, Diane Feinstein. I don't know why, but has found it impossible to let go of power. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is to her detriment. It is, as you said, her um, 
you know, grasp on the job is slipping. She is inevitably suffering, I think, from some cognitive decline. The New Yorker had a profile of her and it was terrifying, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so well, it, she's had such a long career. I mean, she and she she came in as mayor of San Francisco after the murders of Harvey Milk and Mayor um, Moscone and Mayor George Moscone. Moscone. Right, yeah. Right. Well, and I came to California a few couple years after that. She faced a recall election herself oh, really? in 1983, I think it was, and she beat it back. And uh, you know, she, she's always alienated a lot of the Democratic Party, the more liberal part. She's never gotten the endorsement of the California Democratic Party. She relishes wow. her role as sort of a moderate Democrat, but the party has shifted underneath her. And now, so now she's really seen as being uh, out of step with mm-hmm. the Democratic Party and Democrats in California. Okay, so she's one of the statewide politicians who lives in the Bay Area. Obviously, uh, Kamala Harris came came out of the Bay Area. Jerry Brown lived in the Bay Area. I remember when I interviewed him and I asked him his favorite place in California and he said, the Oakland Hills. Um why is it? And Barbara Boxer was from the Bay Area. Obviously, Nancy, Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi is in the Bay Area. Why do you think that the that in in that state where there are these two major cities, one of which L.A. is much bigger than than San Francisco in the Bay Area, why does the power come out of the Bay Area in California? Well, there's a few reasons. Uh, David Chu, who is a state assemblyman and was on the board of supervisors in San Francisco, described San Francisco politics as like a knife fight in a phone booth. <laughs> and it is. It's, everything is personal. Like the spectrum is there's, there's blue and bluer. And so the disagreements in politics become very personal. They become often very nasty. And if you survive that crucible of San Francisco politics, mm-hmm. You're battle-tested and hardened, and so you can go on to run for statewide office, uh, as many have done, including Gavin Newsom, uh, Dianne Feinstein, Barbara Boxer, who was really more from Marin. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it, it, that, that's part of it. And it's also very politically active. L.A. is not, uh, you know, politics in San Francisco is like a hobby for most people. I, uh-huh. I, I joke that every tree has a constituency. <laughs> you know, you try to trim a tree, you're going to get a, a, a block complaining about it. And in L.A., it's harder to get people engaged in politics than it is in San Francisco. Uh, and so I think that it's, you know, those your voters in the Bay Area are going to turn out. And you're as opposed to L.A., where it's, you know, the epicenter of power has shifted north. Let's talk about uh, one of the other politicians in the state who doesn't really fit with the, the mold of what we think of as California politicians, but he's very powerful. Kevin McCarthy is is from California and could be the next Speaker of the House. He could be. He's the minority leader. Uh, he's from Bakersfield. Uh, got his start in the state legislature. Uh, is a very affable, likable guy, uh, you know, which I think is why he's risen as fast as he has. You know, people who know or knew Kevin McCarthy in Sacramento don't recognize this current version of him. Who's like basically denying that there was an insurrection on January 6th after coming out and saying that there was when it happened. Yeah, I mean, I think Kevin McCarthy clearly sees what he's always wanted, which is to be speaker within his grasp. And he's going to do whatever it takes. This is probably his, you know, best and maybe last chance to become a speaker. He's He's not the best person in terms of strategy. I don't think, in, in, compared to Nancy Pelosi, who's brilliant. And seems like they really don't like each other. I've been watching some of the like tweets back and forth about, and what they've said about each other. They, she called him a moron, right? Recently, right. Uh, yeah, no. They, and he I, said he was going to hit her with the speaker's gavel. Hope I don't hit her in the face or something like that. That's just yeah, tacky. right. I mean, Nancy Pelosi 
believes in government. She believes in, to a certain extent, in bipartisanship. You know, she, when there was the mortgage meltdown in 2008, she was speaker. She worked with Hank Paulson, Treasury right. Secretary, and George right. Bush. She got Democratic votes. And I don't think, you know, she looks across the aisle now and she sees a bunch of Republicans who she can't work with. You know, interestingly, uh, a, a few months ago, I was on a long drive from Florida up to Massachusetts and I didn't want to listen to the news the whole time. I was in the I was in the a U-Haul truck by myself, and I didn't want to listen to the news the whole time. So I downloaded John Boehner's book on tape, which was <laughs> which was actually like really good. It's very funny, but he loves Nancy Pelosi. I mean, he thinks she's so smart. She, he's right. She she has been underestimated her entire career. I mean, I remember when she first ran for Congress in 1987, there were like 14 people running against her. They tried to paint her as a party girl, a dilettante. She's she's brilliant a brilliant tactician she now calls herself a master legislator Mm -hmm. um in part because she knows no one else will so she figures i'll just do it myself but no i think and and i think i remember when um he handed when boehner handed her the gavel he was remember he was crying he gave her a kiss i mean of course he cried this is not not hard to drop drop of a hat but no i think that they both believe in government Mm -hmm. i don't think kevin mccarthy and the current brand of leadership in the party really care about governing and about using government to help people and make life better for the you know for americans and i think boehner did and i think he got so frustrated because he found what eventually he you know he got frustrated by the tea party and now you know we have the current republican party which he just i think doesn't have a lot of respect for Uh, I don't know if I have to do this in the middle of a podcast like I would if I were doing a long interview on the radio, but I will say, if you're just tuning in, not that that would be possible. Where have you been? (laughs) This is Scott Schaefer, who's from KQED uh, in San Francisco. Scott, uh, California has 39 million people in it. It's it's they always say what it would be the fifth largest economy in the world or something like that if it were its own country. It is the fifth largest. Yeah, yeah. If it were its own country, I think Um, we're ahead of Italy. But it has been a place that has really set the trend in a lot of ways uh, for what happens in the rest of the United States. And I think of auto emission standards, environmental uh, stuff, gay rights. um, What else? Smoking. Smoking bans. I think general concern about the environment, for sure. LGBT rights more broadly. Plastic Uh, bag bans. Plastic bag bans. It just seems like anything, you know, civil rights generally, um, you know, we just... Gavin Newsom just signed a bill sort of looking at reparations. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's one of those task forces. We'll see what comes of it or a commission. But no, I think California has always been, you know, Newsom likes to say, you know, California is the coming attractions for the rest of the country. Uh-huh. And I, there's some truth to that. But it's also, I think, one of the reasons people love to write about the demise of California, because there's a little bit of resentment. There's more of everything in California, good and bad. So what's something that's happening right now in California that you think 10 years from now, the rest of the country is going to be dealing with or is going to be thinking about maybe there's a policy issue or something like that where people are getting excited about it. Wow. That's a tough one, Jeremy. Um, I was just reading about, you know, California has an assisted suicide law, but a lot of the states in the Pacific Northwest are ahead of California or with California now on certain things. You know, marijuana, for example, was legalized. We're about to... um, probably decriminalize psilocybin uh, psych uh, oh mushrooms mushrooms uh, psychedelic wow. drugs so that denver could, denver came first denver did it that. and so did oregon so we're you know we're there are a lot of other progressive you know places in the country but that's you know those are the kinds of things that uh, california is doing I, I remember a great article that kara swisher um from recode and now the new york times she she did a piece in the new york times about how every time she would go meet with the silicon valley ceo like 
people that you've heard of that they would offer her like a micro micro dose of something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are people that do like a little drop of LSD every day. Oh my god! Nobody. Well, I do know so, one person who does. So that. maybe that's com- maybe that's coming from California to the rest of the country. Um, <laughs> let me let me finally ask you this um, because you've been covering California for now over over twenty years, right? Uh, yeah. Is there anybody you haven't interviewed that you want to? In the world? Or like in California even. Oh, in California? You or know, in the world. Uh, you know, we've always, I've been really trying for years to interview Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know. And he, you haven't? No, he, he's, well, I've interviewed him, I've interviewed him on the phone, you know, but uh-huh. I want to do one of these, like a right. sit down with him. Actually, I'd love to do a sit down with him and Jerry Brown together in fact we're kind of working on that because they they really they both care a lot about climate change and we're thinking maybe we can get them to sit down together and talk about that and all kinds of issues can come from that so maybe that'd be a way to to reel reel them in is to you know see if if jerry brown would do it with us well i hope that you get that interview because that sounds great um scott schaefer it is so great to have you on the Hobcast. I'm just delighted to be here, and I'm an avid listener, and I'm going to go rate the show. Awesome. Right, right yes, now. Five stars. <laughs> five stars. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to episode three of the Hobcast. Next week, we're going to go in a totally different direction with the amazingly talented Provincetown singer and drag queen, Kaya Cristal. We will talk music, race, and gender identity. If I had to put a label on it, I would say non-conforming or non-binary because I will walk down the street in sweats and chucks and a ball cap just as easily as I'll walk down the street in an evening gown. And to me, it doesn't make a difference if it's daytime, if it's nighttime or what have you. I just am me. That is next week. As always, thanks to Andrew Haig and John J. Richardson for engineering and production help. Rate this podcast. Tell your friends. Talk to me on Twitter at Jeremy Hobson. And I will talk to you next week.